Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally. Hello everyone, welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 10, season 26. Yes, the penultimate episode. Um, now, obviously normally there'd be only be 10 episodes, but because we've got some special content this week, and because of the final episode is basically just going to be the best of the piss taken between me and the boys. Uh, we thought we'd do at <laughs> least one with some tangible content in before we brought, uh, but but, bef- but before we put the close sign up, so to speak. So our, 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 our other professional journalist um, that is involved with our with our little podcast, John Desborough, joins us today. Big John, how are you? I'm very well. I'm lo- it's lovely to be here, but I am fighting back the tears. I don't know whether they're tears of joy listening to you, <laughs> listening to you monologue, or whether they're tears of pain because I realise that's the finish line that I can see there. Yeah. Well, you know, listen. Um, you came to the party late, but yeah, I did. I uh, did. But, but listening to some of the com- reading some of the comments and listening to people, it seems as though I've been there forever, but I haven't. I've only been there for about the last, you know, half sentence. <laughs> uh, you, you, you've been around longer than probably what people realise. To be fair, and and you 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 were a welcome addition, as all the pe- different people who, who, who came in and out uh, of of the pod, and that was kind of part of the, f- the fun part for me um, was to kind of bring different people in at different times um, and do what I have always done. Though, whenever I bring somebody in, I try to bring somebody in who knows more than me. That's the best <laughs> way of doing things. <laughs> Because well, I was just glad to, you know, fetch my pint, sit at the table, call the Absolute Rally podcast in the pub and, you know, sit and monologue with, with you guys. It was fun. Yeah. no, Because you can, if you do watch a lot of this sport, there's a lot of it that's taken very seriously. It's, it's you know, it is a little bit too serious at times. And we do need to be able to, you know, sit in the back of the pub and have a good laugh about what goes on. It's, you should never take yourself too seriously. No, absolutely, and and that's and I think that's kind of what's what's come across. We've had some lovely messages, which I'm going to go through um, next week with the guys. But um, but yeah, that's there's so many people who kind of got the ethos of what we try to create. Without you know, it was really important when we did it, and I'm sure mm. you've done stuff like this, John. When we when when I started, I, I had a brief in mind, but if I told everybody what the brief was, it becomes false. <laughs> Because so now listen, kind of, class, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to take this. This is how I want you to interpret it. Um, yes. When I, I say this, you do that. And I suppose, Not a, lot, a chance. I suppose when I started as well, a lot of people, a lot of people forget that I, and I don't, I'm not no longer involved in that industry, but I was heavily involved in, in, in stand-up and comedy and I was writing a lot for, for different comics and I was doing stand-up at the time and I was doing a lot of radio as well. So, um, I kind of tried to bring some of that because at least I had that along with a little bit of rally and kind of do it with a fun and try and try to almost write stuff with, with a punchline in mm. mind to do with rallying, mm. which was, which was always a challenge because normally what used to happen when I did radio stuff and things like that, they kind of give you the premise and go, can you give us a punchline for that? And you go, yeah, okay. And you go away mm. and you kind of go, okay, well, mm. we'll twist that, change that, move that word there. And then all of a sudden you've got a punchline for it. And mm. I try to do that rallying. Now it says when people say rallying is niche, you try and write kind of funnies for rallying that's even that's, know, that's niche 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 so niche, niche niche that's like the what's the the russian doll so you start off with a russian doll that big and then you work all the way down to the tiniest doll and that's ultimately normally where a rally punchline would be would be the tiniest doll um <laughs> but yeah anyway so so yeah so i'm just so glad that over the years that everybody's kind of picked up on the fact that there was yeah. there was elements that were tongue-in-cheek um, i think having ryan champion on the podcast meant you always had someone who was out to destroy whatever plan you had 
Yeah, Big Rye, uh, bless him. Always did. To be fair, though, um, Rye came to our rescue. And we'll, again, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this when he's here. Um, because Rye was only meant to be a guest host. Uh, and that was seven years. Well, it was over seven years ago because, of course, Rye kind of blurred the line between our predecessor, uh, a podcast and live show that we used to do on radio. And then he kind of moved across to absolute value with me. And he was only meant to help me out for a week. So <laughs> it's been a long week. It's been a long week. Believe me, in many ways, it's been a long week. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so no, so, you know, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely elements to that. And I can remember, you know, and again, we'll talk more about this, but I can remember everybody coming in, um, as for their first shows. That's the other thing. I can remember everybody's first show and I don't know what it is. I can remember Jack's first show and jack was you know i look at jack now and he's fully grown and a fully functional big grown-up human um mm. but when he joined us and i met him mm. at autosports show in 2016 i think it was mm. uh to say he was fresh-faced john mm. yeah. well i can remember doing the uh, that circuit of ireland um coverage of which course. was pioneering that and there was 17 jack wasn't it well, be 17, yeah, 18. I think he was. But I was I was so glad to have him there because he, even though he was so young and was working out of Napoli, he was actually making sense. And uh, when Bobby Willis required us to work 25 hours a day for two days flat <laughs> on the circuit of Ireland, me and Agnew kind of looked at each other and thought, for goodness sake, and they didn't even provide the sandwiches. They couldn't even get the sandwich order right. Wow. Um, so, Don't yeah, he and I were claiming social, anti-social media corner. So having Jack there, I thought, at least he knows how long the car is or what the power is or what type of tyres they're on uh, Aggie and I we can just you know blather forever but Benyon knows yeah absolutely he's it, it, always been a good fact finder although I seem to remember there was an incident between nationalities of Finland and Estonia once <laughs> which I'm uh, sure confused and I'm there sure, we'll, confused. I'm sure we'll talk covers. about that as well there's, 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 there's lots of things that we're going to yeah, pull yeah, up it's, it's the Finns and the Swedes you don't muddle yeah, yeah they're, they're the two you don't muddle yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um Listen, talking about pulling up a seat in the Absolute Rally pub, um, this segment that we're about to put out and, and, you know, just, just, I suppose, full disclosure, we, we've, we've done this before. It's, it's obviously, it's, it's a Richard special. It's a Richard Byrne special. It's from when John recorded the book and the audio quality is, 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 is a hard <laughs> listen. But, um, and Alistair and I have spoke long and hard about this and Alistair and I both came to the same conclusion. If you're really, really interested in something, you will tune into it anyway. Um, uh, which is why people still listen to test match on, you know, medium wave mm. on radio and stuff like that. It's not the best audio, yeah. but people with the snap crackle and pop. Absolutely, and so there's a little bit of snap crackle and pop. Now this this piece which we're about to introduce. What what we're going to do, folks? We're gonna uh, I'm, I'm going to introduce it. We're going to listen to it, and then I'm going to talk to John about it afterwards. Um, so kind of full disclosure. But was this 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 sounded very much like the did I hear the the, the clanking of, of ice in a glass in this one, John? Were we in a bar at this point? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I can't. There were various places that we recorded. We recorded in Oxfordshire at his home in Broadway. When he said to me, I've had enough, let's go to the pub, just follow me. You should never do that because I don't think I saw him again. Uh, we recorded in Barcelona where he had an apartment because, of course, he was living in Andorra. We did a session in Andorra as well. And I think this may have been in a bar or a cafe or a hotel reception in Barcelona. But at this point, I think... He's starting to really deliver some great material about what it is to be 
a rally driver from a psychological point of view. In the last 20 years, everybody's got into, you know, psychology and, and mental health. But at that point, it was, if I remember this chapter of the book, Mind Over Matter, it was all about, it's a great, t- you know, title. Once you've nicked that title, you've got to write it. I mean, <laughs> um, it was all about the shape your head had to be in before you got in the car. Um, and I can remember Robert Reed saying to me when they, uh, uh, when they stopped rallying, he said, the one thing I won't miss about competing is all the pills you've got to take because I could, it's legion, the number of pills that these guys take in order to make sure they are in the car and functioning, which they have to do, whatever shape mentally or physically they're in. They do it. You know, they can't not do it. They can't get somebody else in in the team off the bench to come and replace them. It has to be done. And, you know, whatever shape, however little sleep you've had or whatever kind of preparation you've had for that moment when you launch, when you throw the handbrake off and go, you've got to be there. How do you get to that place what how do you get your head in the right place and how do you keep it there uh and there was there was a lot of that in this chapter and i apologize for snap crack and the pot because it was done on those little dictaphone things those black sort of sharp dictaphone things and it was never meant to be broadcast it's just that i found these tapes and i thought i started listening to them again and i thought this he was quite a talker he was very good at being able to put me in his seat and describe what was going on which no other lots no other sportsman no other sportsman's ever managed to do that quite the way he did and so something in me made me keep the tapes and here we are 20 years later almost to the month we're talking about trying to get your head right to go in the competition right without further ado folks we're going to go to a little break and then we're going to come back with john and richard hi this is john desborough the wrc commentator sometimes co-host of this fabulous podcast and author of the wrc thriller breaking point and its sequel heat soak and that's why i'm here that sequel thriller is available on ebay and now at a new reduced price gotta love a bargain keep on listening and if you can't find heat soak on the web reach me with a direct message on facebook enjoy mind over matter mind and matter do you get your how do you get your mind together do you get it together just come together like that or it it, um sometimes takes a while to get it together and sometimes it's just it's just there uh I always have to feel good in the car I always unless I feel 100% in the car I can't do the, the job properly and I, I never leave a shakedown until I am I'm not, until I've done a run where I thought yeah that is that was spot on right so it might be on the third run and I'll stop yeah and it might be on the seventh run and I'll stop so when you've done that run and you feel happy with the car you're then happy in your head I can walk away, no problem. Even if the time was, you know, terrible compared to other people, as long as I'm, because at the end of the day, the time on the shakedown is relevant. You want to do, of course, everybody's competitive wants to do a good time, but equally, you know, if you did feel that everything worked well, then, because, you know, the times always get quicker and quicker, and more runs people do, and road cleans, you know, terms of that. But your mental state is determined by... No it's, not determined, no, it's not determined by just by the shakedown. It's, it's determined by lots of things. It's determined by 
it, it's weird because I always think that that I can't perform unless I've slept. For example, one thing is is if I've slept well, and I need eight hours sleep to be fresh all day, all day long for for each day of the rally. And yet, <coughs> I've won two rallies where I've been, without doubt, the most knackered ever. ever. Which one? Last year in New Zealand, I had a I had a terrible time sleeping during from the moment I got there to the moment I left I didn't have you know more than sort of two or three consecutive hours of sleep just with, with jet lag with um, well, just a whole combination of things but basically jet lag um, and I was averaging about four or five hours a night basically the whole week so by the time the rally came around I was absolutely zoned and then the second day of the rally was like a really long run up north and I was I was yeah completely zonked out but you know on that day we were fastest on everyone but why everyone but one stage or something I was just on a I was focused I was concentrated I was going to be fastest over those stages I was going to get that lead and I, I, I did take risks I know the rally oh, I love I love the rally and I love those stages up there and I knew what I could do, so I didn't. I wasn't worried about anything, you know. I just knew that I had to get on with it and push. Never fallen asleep during a rally? No, no. That's, that's a complete and utter no-no. Yeah, well, I'm, I can do not doze, but I can just kick kick my legs out in the back of the motorhome sometimes in the 45-minute service and, all, and almost fall asleep because yeah. then you just got to drive back. But I never actually fall asleep. You can't do that 10-minute nap thing, the power napping. Mm. Not a complete switch off, no, because if I switch off when I wake up, yeah. it takes me half an hour to get, you know, where am I? Yeah. So, in New Zealand, were you just so knackered that you could not concentrate on anything else other than what was going on? I don't know what, I don't know what. Another time was like in Safari, one of the very first rally I won, Safari, 98. It was exactly the same, I just could not sleep at all. And it was nothing to do with the situation or whatever, it was just, it was jet lag, it was the work, it was, it's a knackering rally anyway. Yeah. Um, I was exhausted, but I don't know. Maybe you do get to a point where, yeah, that is, that is it. And then when you get to the end of the stage, well, yeah, you know, you do you. Is there anything you take or go through the night before to guarantee are you a night owl taker? Without wanting no. to talk about night owl, you know. No, I don't. Unless I, unless I'm really having desperate problems, I don't take anything because right. I don't like. I don't like to, basically, because if you did it every single time, you'd be addicted to it. Mm. And I always think that you should be able to get, you know, get to sleep, no, no problem. It's weird because I can be like that, and then when I'm away, sometimes if I'm on holiday, whatever, I can lie in, I can sleep in the afternoon, I can take a siesta, I can, no problem whatsoever. But come the rally, get all the sleep the night before. Do I normally, the I normally like sleep with a bit of anxiety or a bit of, you know, build up for the rally all week until the night before the rally and then I can because it's like it's almost a relief to get to that point where you know you're going to start in the morning so you're off yeah. everything you've done up to then is, is preparation yeah. that you need to get right so when it when it um, when the actual day comes there's nothing else you can do you know yeah. do you dream? Mm, yeah but not normally not normally during rallies to be honest you don't dream stages 
done it and what was the reason for doing it? started in 96 and I did it for like two years and then stopped because the guy I was seeing was ill. And then started again sort of middle of last year. How often? Uh, I speak to him during the rally and I see him when I go back to England. Really? Not every single so time. you call him? How does the conversation go on the phone? Well, he knows what's going on. He's on the internet. He sees the stage times. He knows the preparation of the rally. He knows what's what's going on, um, and just gives me gives me pointers. You know, one of the most one of the most valuable things, uh, an indication of what I don't know. I don't know if you'd be telling the whole world about it, but like in Finland last year was quite, was a very good rally for me. At the end of the day, I was leading. I didn't particularly want to be, but I had no choice because everyone behind was yeah. going faster. Then they slowed down. Yeah. Everybody, Marcus and Harry. Yeah. Um, and I then was presented with the longest single day's rally in Europe, being first car on dry gravel. So you're knackered. You know you're not going to do anything. So what can you do? Buy the bullet and just get on with it. And I went like hell. And Colin caught was like 30 seconds behind at the end of the first day caught up to three seconds behind Marcus and Harry got past me but at the end of the day I was, it was like well hey he's in third place no, no problem yeah, why were you first up that day? because uh, basically because Marcus slowed down at the end of day one right but he would have been about 10 seconds in front of me he yeah. would have been second at least but to avoid being first in the first he didn't want to be first in the first had to take it to the running in front of him on the road nobody else in front of me was going fast enough for me to do the same thing yeah. otherwise I lost too much so Saturday I had there was like 160 kilometres on Saturday and how did our psychologist friend step in there at the end of that day I mean I kind of managed okay on that second day no problem but at the end of that day Marcus was like 45 seconds in front Harry who'd taken time out of me on every stage was something like 25 seconds in front yeah. Colin was 3 seconds behind and Colin has also been faster than me on probably 2 thirds of the day stage on Saturday so what in your head are you thinking now? You're thinking everybody's sandbagging they're all ready no, no, they're they're everybody was, hard work. no everybody was fucking flat out all day long on Saturday no one was sandbagging for the last day because you got 45 seconds for that 30 seconds me then Colin three seconds well I'm thinking I'm not going to get one or two and I've got the car wrecker behind me trying to get number right. three and I'm so going what does the sports psychologist say to me uh, first, first stage in the morning 39 kilometres long half of it is new to everybody it's damp so it doesn't make any difference about surface so Marcus can go quick um, ok 40k first thing in the morning new. 40k 25 miles you're all new on it uh, Psychologist says I want you to take 15 seconds off Harry And you think that's impossible And I say to him But he's taken, stage, he's taken time off me On every single stage today He said You He just, just repeated himself He said okay, if you can't take 15 seconds Take 12 I want you to take time off Make Harry. your mark is what he was saying No he was saying You look at it from Colin, forget about Colin. Harry is probably under team orders, not allowed to attack his team. <coughs> team leader, yeah. Peugeot, want a one-two. He isn't going to be concentrating on going as fast as he can on the first stage. 
breaking on the first stage. Break is his mind on the first stage. On that stage, Colin had told the whole team, I'm going to fucking kill Richard on the first stage. I was fastest, I took six seconds off Colin, I took 18 seconds off Harry, and about 12 seconds off Marcus. All because someone who in your mind came with authority and understanding had but said... also, why would I... I wouldn't necessarily think about those things. It's, it's someone else looking from the... You're in it. Yeah. And you're thinking, fucking Colin, the person that you're fighting, mm. and the person mm. that psychologically is, is your biggest competitor. Yeah. He's three seconds behind me and he's catching me. And this guy, this guy says, no, and asks you to do something that you think you cannot possibly do. And I did it. And the next stage, Harry broke his suspension because he was trying so hard. What happened there? You came, you second or second. You second Harry broke his car, dropped the eye. step up to second. I got second and we finished seven or eight seconds in front of Colin. We were fastest on four stages out of the day. On the day, we were fastest out Pretty good. So the point of having it, how much of rallying is in the head then? Everybody can drive very fast. Everybody has roughly similar cars. Some roughly. So 90% of it is you know you can do a job. Francois Deval and Sebastian Loeb can drive both drive cars very quickly but they don't have the quite the experience yet. But they're very fast. So the difference is our confidence and our knowledge and our experience. But also in a in, in well that's the main that's the main difference. Yeah. So it's all down to your in your mind as you go into a rally if you're all roughly similar of similar experience similar ability similar speed and similar cars take all the other all the other options out every other base is covered technically mechanically all those are covered it's the guy who's sharpest in the car who's up for it that morning also there's a knowledge when, when we went through a real strong period at the beginning of 2000 we went okay first two rallies then I won Safari and then I won Portugal and then I won Argentina I knew in those rallies I wouldn't get beaten I didn't I wasn't seeing the sports psychologist at that point I just knew that I wouldn't be beaten I knew everything I was doing was correct and good enough to win I had a good car at that time as well but I just knew we had a big fight all the time Portugal we were leading, we had a problem drop back, we were leading, we had a we got dust, we were leading, we you know, bam bam bam. And then the and the last day was four stages I think. Three or four stages. And Marcus was like fifteen seconds in front. And he said before the leg started, he said Colin's going uh, he said Richard's gonna win Richard's gonna overtake me. He'd already Why? It. Why did he because we were faster basically everywhere, we were faster, unless like the end of the day before we were stuck in this dust. Yeah. Even then we only lost sort of five or six seconds and we were stuck badly yeah, in the dust. Yeah. Um, I lost 40 seconds in the first day when the power steering failed and dropped to fourth, but as soon as everything was working again, bang. Then you're I back to I just knew, I just knew. Yeah. And that, that doesn't come around, that kind of confidence, very often. You yeah. know, when, you, when you have it, you just need to 
have you ever had moments when you know the mind over matter has kicked in and just you, know, you talked about that fatigue in New Zealand where physically you're not as good finished yeah. mentally you're right on it yeah. and where 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 the mental aspect of what you do has helped and has taken over and has compensated for a, a lack of physical ability. New Zealand was the prime example of that, was it? Any others? Safari in 98, right. again, similar situation. Um, they're the biggest examples. They're the biggest examples. And the physical... Uh, problem that you have is fatigue. I mean, you've never got in a car bruised, you never got injured. It's awkward. No. And it's, it's amazing what, well, I mean, when you were in uh, Sweden this year, you had flu. Mm. Yeah, when I get flu, there's only one place I go, that's straight to bed, and I don't appear until, you know, there's no, I can't touch things, I can't walk when I've got flu. Mm. What happens when, you know, an obvious thing like that happens, or you just get a bad cold or something? How do you... At the end of the day, there's nothing you can do. We're not, fortunately or unfortunately, we're not in a situation where we've got any choice. You know, if, the only, if you're ill, you might not be able to test. But that's the only thing you've got a choice in. If you're ill, you can't miss a rookie and you can't miss a run. So what do you do? You, have, you just have to get on and do it, unfortunately, because you don't feel like doing it. Yeah. And I have to say that in Sweden, I wasn't that, I wasn't ill like Alistair was ill during the recce. You know, I didn't, I had a sore throat and I was having trouble and I was coughing up shit the whole time and whatever, but in the stages, it didn't affect me. Right. Um, has anybody ever missed a rally because of illness? Only, not illness, they have misrallied through injury. Right. And injury is something you've never had to, we'll deal with that one in a, a different place, but you've never had injury to deal with when you've got into a car and thought, I've got to drive this, do my best and try and win, even with this injury. It's not... No. No. Luckily. But if you had to describe the perfect mental state in a car, that comes from knowing that the car is in great nick. Yeah. Knowing the car's in, in shape. Knowing that your preparation has been done perfectly and just, I don't know, you, you do definitely raise yourself a, a level. You can drive like you can drive at a pace all day, no problem, and that'll be quick enough to finish in the top six and do world championship running. You know that pace? I know, I can do that all day long. But to go the pace to win a rally, you need, you, you are definitely up another... mentally and you step yourself up with a bit of definitely some risk in there yeah. as well what? but normally the risk is contained by the fact that your concentration is so good right so how do you find out whether you're up to driving flat out fast in rally winning speed how do you know it just comes and you think wow I did that really fast if I could do that and concentrate what else could I do I, don't, I honestly don't know how you get yourself into that because for me it takes a little while. I, I rarely, I do sometimes sets fastest times on, for, on stage one, but rarely. So I, I do, I definitely build up. So 
other people can do it. Colin is very good at being very, very fast straight away, but also you know that, he's, that there's quite a lot of risk involved in that, and I would say that he knows it as well. He probably doesn't have the 100% knowledge that everything's going to go perfectly, yeah. but he will just attack anyway yeah. and yeah. try and get away with it, even though he's probably not perfect in the car yet. Yeah. Um, in life, in car, out car, wherever you are, today, here, yesterday, what motivates you, do you think, what makes you tick? Is it, what, what, what drives you? Uh,
I don't, I don't feel competitive in other things. I feel competitive in what I do, but I, I don't feel competitive about, you know, if I have a game of tennis with Robbie, I don't think I have to beat you. I have to beat you. I think let's have a good game and a laugh here. You know, let's. So if Colin McRae took you on a pool of wood chip, you wouldn't mind. It wouldn't really, I wouldn't give you any shit. like to have it, you know, you have yeah. a bit of fun and have oh, shit, you know, but, but it's like, at the end of the day. So, who cares? If you want to be great at rallying, and rallying is what you are good at, and rallying is where you can be at your most competitive, are you a bad loser if you don't get it together in the thing that you are best at? I don't know why I've lost, but I can also accept that sometimes it doesn't matter how you are, how good you are. On some particular day, somebody might be better than you, and that, and you will not be able to do anything about it. And there's no one driver in the world championship who can uh, who can say they will not be beaten and never be beaten on pure speed on any. For example, there's probably neither myself, Marcus, Tommy, or Colin would have ever said going to Cyprus two years ago that Carlos would beat us and yet there was nothing what any one of us could do to touch him absolutely nothing on that day or that weekend no chance no chance Colin was running behind him Colin was in the same car Colin had a minute or something or two minutes taken off him on the first day of that rally and there was nothing he could do and there was nothing any of us could do do we know why Carlos was so special no no just that one-off crazy situation. Yeah. Not crazy, but because we yeah. didn't know we can do uh, it. But like the same reason, no one could touch me on those rallies at the beginning. And the same reason, no one touched Colin in those three rallies last year. Um, let me think about some specific examples. Uh, I'm thinking about last year, the McRae T-shirt, the moaning thing, and people decided you had a reputation for moaning. Uh, was that because you were the only one who says anything? Right. Basically. Or I'm the only one that people listen to when they say it. Carlos, the whole time, I mean, this whole situation about road positions and all that kind of stuff, Colin used his uh, column in Motor News to say that I moaned when actually what I was saying was something that everybody had been saying for the last five years. And now the FAA have done something about it, whether it's a good investor system or not, nobody knows yet. But you'd have heard Carlos and Tommy complaining like hell in Sweden about the thing and, the, and do we hear that they're moaning, whinging bastards? No, we, no, we don't. It is an image portrayed because I have said something, but also because Colin is a winner on those rallies where I was saying something's wrong, then everybody listens to him. This is Absolute Rally. Quarter, mid-left crest, 8-6 right minus, tightens up a jump, opens up a 15, sharp left, right to 5-6 up left crest, over 17, 5 right. 
Ireland's leading commercial note supplier, Killian Duffy, has joined forces with 2016 British Rally Champion Craig Parry to form On The Pace Note UK. For more information, visit the website onthepacenote.co.uk. And welcome back. Um, John, uh, there's so many questions because I listen to that kind of real time as well. So I've got so many questions, which I kind of jotted down as I listened to it. Mm. Um, and it's funny because leading into this, you, you started talking about obviously getting your head right and stuff like that and the psychologist side of it. And, uh, you know, Richard talks about this. And as you say, we're, we're, here we are t- 20 years on. And I know so many people that kind of work with, with kind of sports psychologists. So they have, mm. you know, somebody to help with my management. You know, I've used people, to be honest, in the past um, for various, you know, various reasons in my life. Um, you know, just almost having like a PA in your head. I think is the best best mm. analogy I think yes. I've ever heard is, you know, kind of just rearranging the files to make sure, you know, that everything functions properly rather than having a load of jumbled files. That's how I always kind of use that analogy. Um, mm. Richard was, you know, was, Richard was quite open with, with, with you with, with regards to the, obviously you were writing the book at the time. Was it mm. common knowledge at the time to other competitors? Was it common knowledge as the fans that, you know, I can't quite remember, you know, was, or was this something that he was entrusting to you at the time, you know, I because you were just having was, that chat? Yeah, it was something he wanted to keep private, but it was something which we felt ought to go into the book because it was it was so obvious that, you know, in a situation like driving a car at that speed, in those conditions, in those countries, you had to have your head right or know how to get your head into the right space. Um, uh, when thinking about this now, I think that uh, Kalarov and Pera, 20 years later, at the moment, is in the right place mentally. His happy place is in his car, but how do you make your car your seat, your happy place. Um, and you remember when we were talking to John Armstrong a couple of weeks ago, I said, what's your advice? You said, what's your advice for John Armstrong? And I said, just remember to breathe. Um, because that was a piece of advice that Robert Reed used to give to um, Richard. And I think it was a way to just say, just enjoy yourself. But with Richard, I think if you made him angry, and Walter Roll used to be like this, if you made him angry, man, that was the way to get a winning Richard Burns. But how did you get that guy in that place where... He was angry and he used a psychologist who would give him these goals throughout the day. And he would say, listen, um, you know, Granholm, this guy Granholm, he's, um, he's 13 seconds ahead of you. Uh, before lunch, you've got 100 clicks to do. I want you to take 14 seconds off him and I want you to be ahead of him. Um, and in a way, it was just giving people, you know, simple targets or simple goals. And it was, it was good for him to have, I think, someone outside of the sport who he could get on the end of a phone, who was following the sport, following the, his progress, and be able to just give him something nice and simple. Because, uh, as again, Robert used to say, when I was attempting to become a co-driver, just get comfortable doing your job. And for Richard Burns, that simply had to be get comfortable driving that car fast. That was the first thing he had to do. And he used to say he would know in the first kilometre whether it was going to be a good day. Um, and I think that was a sign of him trying to get into that place, get his head into that place where he was happy and very competitive. Well, he does talk, doesn't he, about doing shakedown. Now, shakedown is always a weird thing. You know, I, I've done shakedown on, on events over the years and stuff like that. And mm. um, I thought it was really interesting. I think personally for, 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 
for me listening to it when he said I, I wasn't I'm not interested in the other people's times I just want to get mm. you know whether it's run one run two run three run eight when I get to the end of that run and goes that feels good that's fine I'm not even bothered about the mm. time because it doesn't really matter mm. That's an incredibly strong mental place to be, to be able to say mm. that. If you're not bothered by the time on shakedown, but you feel good in the car, mm. that's an, inc- mm. you know, when you, when you talk about that, that's clearly, I, the, what I took from that was he's worked on that. That's, that, that mm. to me is something that perhaps he has worked on with the psychologist or whatever, because that's, you know, rally drivers, rally co-drivers, where it's all time driven. So to say that you're not bothered about time, whether it's a shakedown or whether it's a test or mm. whatever, everybody wants to look at the time. But mm. to have that, to have that ability to go, no, it's fine. If it, the car feels good under me bum, and now I'll go well. Mm. That's strong. And uh, imagine getting out of the car in a world championship, you know, being world champion as he would have been when we were writing the book and, and saying to the guys, that's it, I've done my run, I'm fine, I'm happy. Everybody else naturally thinks, well, you lazy so-and-so. Come on, you've got to get back in again. There's a few more people need a picture, or you can't just yep. stop here and go back to the hotel. But he's got to be strong enough to say, no, the car's right. I feel good in the car. And the next time I get back in, I want to be reminded of how I feel now. I don't want to go in and put it off and then have a series of doubts creep through my mind about how did that happen? Why did it happen? Does that mean that I can't take that corner anymore? Does that mean that if I come to a situation like this, then I'm not going to be able to do that properly? I think you're right. If, if you, you know, you get it right and run one or run two, stop, get out, light up the big Cuban and, you know, look forward to when there's a real clock. The, the only thing I can relate properly to that and, and a lot of people who go rallying at whatever level relate to this, if you go testing, I have, I'm, I'm a little bit superstitious with stuff when it comes to going testing, and this is kind of a similar thing. When somebody says um, "last run," I don't, I don't go out. Don't, mm. don't say it's the last run because I guarantee mm. if you mm. have an issue, it'll be on the last run. Yeah, uh, because you'll change the way yeah. you do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I will personally, and other people might be different, but if I go out and I've done something i'll come in and go right that's it mm. that, that was the last run all oh, right you sure you know what yeah. no i don't want to do anymore that's it i've said it it's the last run yeah uh, i won't yeah. go back out once that those words have been uttered so yeah. my, my engineer's listening now i'm going to get in the car at the next test <laughs> and he'll just say <laughs> to me last run. Run. he's going to say last run he'll put it back on the train and i'll go oh i won't even drive it so yeah i'll have to be careful what i say won't i but yeah, yeah. uh yeah. but yeah but, so no, and, i can kind of get that and in the same way, I think he uh, would have he would pick a stage where he would try and blow everybody out of the water, uh, you know, blow them into the weeds. He, um, Richard would have certain places where he would he had targeted was, he, he, you know, how rally drivers remember stages in the previous year. Uh, and when they do a recce, they go through them and they remember things from the year before, almost as if it was last week that they were driving it. Um, he would target certain places where there would be, a, you know, an effort stage. And uh, that would be where he would try and make his mark. Um, and that, too, I think, was one of those things that, you know, he developed that was invaluable to the way that he drove and how he was so fast but i dare say if he was here now he would say he never had or it took a lot longer to get the feeling that he was in a happy place when he was in the peugeot compared to when he was in you know a, a, a subaru well, that, that one, um, one thing i did write down and you, you've, you've led me perfectly to this next point one of the things i wrote down because as i said I did, as i was listening i sketched stuff down was would you say richard was a perfectionist 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it came to things, when it came to, to you know, uh, driving a car, yes. And he was one of those people who I think was super incredibly fantastically good at one thing and that was driving a car and he was very honest about the fact that you know he couldn't play golf which often sports people are required to there was a lot of tennis that was played around the circuit at the time he couldn't play tennis he couldn't hold a racket you know there are many things that he couldn't do but he knew he could drive a car quickly and uh, i think the fact that he had was it 27 descriptions for a corner was him um showing us just how much of a perfectionist he was because he believed he could get around that corner quicker if he divided that corner up into entry, uh, speed in the middle, speed on exit out of the corner, and how would he describe that corner? Um, and that's an example of him being a perfectionist when it came to driving a car. Because he, he, did, he did go on to say, <clears throat> this is something else, a, a, a direct quote there, I say, um, he, he, I'm paraphrasing it, but, ever so slightly but he, he you know he he felt like he could only be a rally driver that's that that was that was the only thing yeah. he, he he could be uh um, yeah which you know uh, that's and, a, that's you know how great that he was around pegging around hole but you know he, he yeah. found his thing and was able to to go that far and that high and become the best uh and win the world championship you know uh, it's uh, at least, you know, he would be able to say to to himself, I found what I was good at and I was the best in the world. Um, there are plenty of lost souls wandering around out there still not knowing what they're good at. But he had the chance. And I think that was why he was so, uh, I want to say, obstinate or you know, belligerent about it. Um, and perhaps because he didn't come from a rallying or a motorsport background at all. You know, his dad wasn't really into cars. His mum wasn't into cars. Uh, he had no uh, sort of family or, or, you know, empire or heritage in cars. But he knew that's what he wanted to do. He was good in a car, and that's why he just, you know, kept on going and knocking on people's doors and refusing to say no until he actually reached a place where he could show how good he was in a car. Just a, a couple of a couple of little things that I I, I did take from from it. Um, it seemed during that, and you said it was recorded at different times, but mm. at that point. He was a world champion. Is that right? When you were recording this, it's, it was it was yep. a year after the yep. world championship. Yeah, I almost got, and it, I, you know, it was recorded at different times. So I don't, I don't know whether I'm overthinking this or over listening to it, uh, so to speak. But to me, it there was, it still felt like there was a twang there that he hadn't maybe quite got the respect he thought he might have got oh, by yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think he, he kind of envied Colin in that it was, you know, it was so easy and he could uh, he could enjoy it so much and he could, you know, have the plane, the train, the automobile and all the fun and games and toys that went with it. And, you know, in that classic McRae saying, the one with the most toys wins, uh, you know, whereas Burnsy was the opposite of that particular spectrum. Uh, you know, I think he rented things. <laughs> was that the, was it the recording where he talked about how much it was to get to, to take a plane from one place to another? Um, and in the recording, he's, one of the recordings, he said, I just don't know how Colin organizes his life. You know, he's got so much on because Richard 
had a very sort of simple disciplined life it was driving a car or it was waiting to drive a car he wasn't really very good at you know hanging around and doing all the showbiz stuff he didn't have he didn't have hangers on that knew that if they found him at the bar that night then you know rent a party as mccray was known 20 years ago would kick off it never kicked off with richard richard was not a good night out robert was a good night out and he knew that and um that's just that that was just the way he was and i think because he had to give his heart and soul into everything to get there um and and maybe he did resent the fact that other people got there so easily whereas he had to work really work every moment of the day you know to to find a way through to to get the attention of people who were used to i don't know maybe having you know uh, uh, decent drivers with money just served up in front of them and you know here's this kid saying no i'm going to show you how good i am and he got the chance and he was was there was there a feeling and again it's just kind of similar point i suppose that there was almost like right i've got there now but it's not quite what i thought it was going to be yes i'm sure it was well i mean i remember saying to him you know there's no book that you open up that says how to be a world champion um you've just got to you've got to make it uh and you're only going to be it for a year and you just got to make it whatever you want it to be um and i think he enjoyed he enjoyed relaxing because he'd finally made it he got the championship um he was still in the row with subaru about leaving and going to uh peugeot i remember in the book i said listen let's do some top tens richard burn top tens top 10 countries uh top 10 stages and he'd always joke you know that one with the funny name in finland or that one with the funny name in argentina uh, even though you knew that he knew them back to front and inside out he just couldn't remember the name and i said what about the top 10 songs uh, top 10 pop songs uh, we put that in the back of the list you know just to sort of spruce it up we, it was never used but i think his number one was frank sinatra singing they can't take that away from me <laughs> which was you know his way of saying to Subaru, you can't take the world championship away from me i am world champion you can come back at me and take money off me because i signed for, for persia when i said i wouldn't i'll come back to you and we had a legal case and lost but you can't take the world championship away from me and i think there was there was a little tinge of that but when he had made it and was living abroad and saving the 40 percent, i think he was a much more kind of chilled character and if you look through 2002 i think he was something like fifth in the championship um and no doubt at the end of that season he thought right okay now we need to now we need to give it the beans and go back to where we were and that was always the such a sad thing when you looked at what happened at the end of 2003 and how statistically he could have made his you know the winner always writes the history and uh had he got to gb and got the points i think he was in a four-way or a three-way fight for another title in 2003 when he collapsed at the wheel of that car with marco martin and you know was in hospital and the rest of it we know in his history but had he made had he won that championship again then he would never have had that colin mccray trouble mccray got to the lamppost and peed up him long before he did you know he was a younger world champion he was earlier world champion he was the one that everybody loved he had such swagger you you know everybody came out to watch colin mccray on the stage it wasn't quite the same relationship the fans had with the with richard but had he got that second championship been healthy enough to get it you know imagine what would have gone on from there how it would have fired him up i am now a two times world champion mccray and um, what are you and it all he would have had another five years after that you know we would have seen him for a lot longer but but it didn't happen and i think you're right he he kind of looked at colin and didn't didn't really understand they were chalk and cheese 
uh, in their heads and about the the way that they live their lives and went about their rallying. Yeah, yeah. No, it, but John, um, it it was fascinating to do another one of these. It really was. And it Good, well, seems... I apologise for all those snack crackle and pops, but that's that was the tape, and it was. Um, you know, there, there he was, but you, you can hear him, and you're right. If you want to hear him, you can hear him, and I, it is fascinating to listen to him. You know, still, England's only world rally champion. Absolutely, absolutely. Folks, uh, that that has been it for this week. John, thank you not only for this piece. Always a pleasure. And, uh, for all Anytime the you want to invite pieces. me to the table in the Absolute Rally Podcast pub, I'm here and available. <laughs> Sadly, uh, the pub is closing, but uh, and the train set has come pulling into the station. But <laughs> there you go, uh, John Desbreth. Thank you so much for everything over the over the last twelve months or so. I, I, I couldn't appreciate it anymore. I couldn't tell you anymore uh, how much I appreciate it. Honestly, um, folks, Pleasure. it has thank been you. Absolute Rally episode ten. There is one more episode left to go with the guys, and we'll be back. Last time I'm ever going to say this. Uh, same time, same place in your pocket hole next week. Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.